1: Welcome to Man Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at one 800 743 3 cnbc or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Pause! Yep, today the Fed hit the pause button on the rally, making it clear they favor more rate hikes this year than we'd expected. We come to believe that... Only trade wars could derail the averages. But the economy, it's just too darn hot. So the Fed feels compelled to take more action than we thought necessary. That's why the Dow fell 120 points. s and declined 0.4% and the Nasdaq did just 0.11%. The Federal Reserve is doing the prudent thing, raising rates and suggesting that it might need to tighten four times this year instead of three. That naturally made buyers more cautious. So what do you do? First, recognize that owning stocks just got harder. Higher rates are not a positive for the market. They're negative. Sure, we've been rallying despite the increase in rates, but with each additional rate hike from here, you lose bulls because it does make lending more expensive. Still, there is zero reason for panic. The market plummeted and then even bounced back a bit after Fed Chair Jay Powell laid our fears in a very well-run press conference, ensuring us that we won't get a -a rat-a-tat-tat series of rate hikes no matter what. But then it gave up the ghost near the bell as it's just a fact of life that higher interest rates translate into more investors wanting to swap out of stocks and into bonds. Second, Powell's doing the right thing. Inflation has finally started to pick up. We had a red-hot producer price index number this very morning. So he needs to take action. Many people have been lulled into belief that inflation can't come back. But when the Fed chief says the economy's accelerated, that makes many investors assume that inflation could be right around the corner. Now, I think it may be more complicated than that this time. There are a ton of deflationary forces out there, like the digitized economy that produces lower prices for everything that we talk about all the time on have Money. Whether that's enough to offset the inflation from a rapidly expanding economy or whether the Fed will even recognize the deflationary power of the Internet. Well, another story. For now, though, none of that matters. Higher rates will always trigger rotations out of a lot more stocks than they will into stocks. I mean, money flowed out of the housing stocks today viciously, and it meagerly moved into the banks. Makes sense. Mortgage rates are going up, which is negative for the home builders, but terrific for the banks, as they make more money on your deposits with four rate hikes than they would with three. That's why, even though most of the market got hit, we did see a reversal in a few bank stocks that acted miserably going, you know, for, I'd say, the last few weeks. J.P. Morgan, up for most of the session, and Goldman Sachs. Only Goldman managed to finish the day higher, defying the downward pull of the average. These are some of the cheapest stocks in the market, though. Going to this meeting, there was a consensus that the Fed would wait before it got more aggressive. That consensus was wrong. And that's good news for the financials. JP Morgan is the world's premier commercial bank. I bet the analysts will fall all over themselves to recommend it tomorrow. That said, Goldman represents the best buy here, in part because it's underperformed badly of late, and in part because the at Time Warner court decision is going to unleash a wave of new mergers that will boost the investment bank's earnings. Comcast, the parent company of this network, just bid $65 billion for the Fox Assets Cash, exactly the kind of M&A business that allows a stock like Goldman Sachs to work here. Goldman, by the way, is representing Fox in the negotiations. Obviously, Fox is going to have to deal with Disney on the one hand and Comcast on the other. Plus, at the end of the month, the Fed will release its report cards for banks. I expect Goldman will get a clean bill of health and then immediately announce a gigantic buyback. As for the home builders, they've been lousy performers for ages. They're only going to get worse now as mortgage rates go up, especially since timber's not coming down because of our trade tip with Canada. We don't grow enough trees in this darn country to keep lumber prices low anymore. Plus, labor's getting scarce, so their margins will be squeezed. Meanwhile, retailers are going to stop getting the benefit of the doubt at least for a few weeks, as they've had a big run, and investors often believe these uh, purchases are made the, at the retail level with credit cards. Uh, and higher rates are going to make credit card debt more expensive. Ultimately, retail is far more sensitive to employment than interest rates. But we're in the Fed blast zone for the moment, so you can expect the group to be weak. I think this could eventually be a good buying opportunity, but the group needs to go lower first. I'm looking for a 5 to 8% correction before you can be opportunistic. The consumer packaged goods stocks tend to sell off when the Fed gets as hawkish as it is because many people own these stocks for both their dividends and their growth. Lately, the growth has been meager, and their dividends are pretty much a push versus the 10-year Treasury. On top of that, these companies have seen their margins get squeezed by rising raw costs and transportation costs, two issues that came up in this morning's overheated price uh, price index number. So I expect profit-taking in the consumer product stocks because they've been creeping up over the last few weeks. I told members of the ActionAlertsPlus.com club on a conference call today that they can hold on to only the fastest growers. We like PepsiCo, slower growers with dividends less than 3%. Nope, not going to work anymore. Tech and industrials, they could get hit some more, uh, both because of worries about trade and concerns about a worldwide slowdown. I know it seems ridiculous that four rate hikes instead of three can make a slowdown materialize out of nowhere. But you'll hear chatter of emerging market woes. A market catches a the cold. These countries get the flu. I say woe is me. It's just such a staple of journalism talk. But people do freak out. You'll hear that we're going to have a much stronger dollar, which will hurt our exporters. Remember the way the market works. You could easily craft a scenario that, that says things are going to slow down because of tariffs or interest rates. No one's going to disagree with you. That's way too dangerous. Commentators never get called out for being too negative. To be fair to the bears, though, this was indeed a negative development today. You, you can't be as bullish about the market as you were yesterday. You just can't. Possible exceptionist view, it's going to be, yep, you got it, FANG, my acronym for Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google now off of it. I know these stocks may not be up your alley, but here's the deal. You remember how FANG became FANG, something I know because we coined the term? It's because these companies don't need strong growth to propel their earnings. They have individual long-term drivers, secular growth drivers, that make it so that the economy is almost irrelevant. Facebook and Alphabet are taking share in advertising from traditional media, and that's accelerating. Although even that wasn't enough to prevent Alphabet from being dragged down today. Netflix, we just learned from Goldman Sachs, is about to inflect, I meaning it's about to start making a lot of money, something a few people expected. Amazon's just a horse. Its an advertising business on fire, web service division's riding the cloud wave. Amazon's at the heart of digitization, and its retail presence just grows and grows and grows, regardless of the state of the economy. Bottom line, look, I just traced out a lot of generalizations. Rates will still be pretty low by historical standards, even after four rate hikes this year. So it is a pause. Some stocks can go higher in pause mode, but probably not the same stocks that were going up before the pause. That's an important distinction. In the end, though, let's face it. This whole game, it just got harder. Michael in Florida. Michael! Hey, Jim, that's Lantana, Florida. Hey, how you hey, I doing? I tell you, my two-year-old granddaughter runs around the
2: house yelling "bullier."
1: Well, that kid's got horse sense. I like that. Hey, I like your philosophy and your delivery, Jim. Thank you. I'm calling about ADMS. It's a pharmaceutical company. Yeah. It uh, works on neurological uh, problems, and it's developed a drug called Gocavri. That's been pre- uh, approved by the FDA. And I, I'm behind in that stock about eight points. Right, right. And I'm wondering if you'll... Uh, you, i got to tell you, sir, that, that is really a speculative small cap stock. And that may not be what you want to own uh, right now as uh, the market's been taking those to the woodshed. And they do poorly in a, in an overly inflationary environment, which people are going to say we have because of what the Fed did today. So I'm going to have to take a pass on that one. I need, you, But thank you for the kind words. Let's go to Dustin in South Dakota. Dustin.
2: Booyah, Jim, from South Dakota. Hey. My question is about H&R Block, HRB. They beat earnings and revenue estimates, yet the stock got hammered today, and it plummeted and fell almost 20%. Do you think it'll rebound, or is this a good entry point? It was point? a
1: really bad conference call, and they kept saying how great things were, and then they lowered the boom later in the call on EBITDA for 2019. It was a miserable call, and I really was upset with them. I prefer into it to them any day of the week. They did not. Do a good job. Let's go to Dan in New York.
2: Dan, hi, Jen. Longtime fan. Love watching at 9 a.m. and 6 p.m. Oh, thank you. Uh, CGC Canopy Growth Corporation. After you had CEO Bruce Lytton on recently right. on June 7th, the Canadian Senate passed Bill C45 to legalize recreational. Royal assent is expected as early as the end of this week after they iron out the amendments with expanded international operations. From Africa to Germany to Australia and the recent NYSE listing, not to mention big pharma aspirations, when can we expect to see major institutional investors pile in, crush the shorts, and send CGC uh, to know, the You know,
1: damn, we got to—we can't— <laughs> This is a tough one. First of all, it is the only one that I, I have been serious about in this whole cohort. A lot of people on my Twitter feed are constantly recommending ones that I don't like. Second, we know Constellation's got a big investment in it, which, which Rob Sands says is good. It's good for me. I like the way the company spoke. But, you know, it is up 30% for the year, and I'm not going to pound the table just after everybody knows what happened in Canada. All right. We're in a pause, and it's courtesy of the Fed, which is trying to do the right thing. And that means plenty of stocks can go higher. But a lot will go lower, too. We'll oh, money tonight. Wall Street's hottest club is the $100 billion club. It has everything, chemical sneakers, trains. Plus, you can invest in the names. I'll reveal who's in just ahead. Then it's one of the hottest stocks in this market, and the CEO is joining me here tonight. Don't miss my exclusive with the CEO of RH. after its epic move. But first, here's a promise Trump made on the campaign trail in 2016. AT&T is buying Time Warner and thus CNN, a deal
3: we will not approve in my administration because it's too much concentration of power in the hands of too few.
1: Yes, you can't win them all. How will the AT&T Time Warner decision impact other telecom and media giants? I'm investigating.
3: Don't miss a second of Mad Money.
1: Stunning rebuke. Those are the two words we keep hearing about Judge Richard Leon's decision to let ATT buy Time Warner over the government's objections. Honestly, though, stunning rebuke is putting it lightly. This is more like a thermonuclear blast against the antitrust division of the Justice Department, and the fallout will be incredible. This nuclear assault will unleash more mergers and higher bids like we got tonight by Comcast for the Fox assets that Disney so covets. They will most likely be met with friendlier arms than the Justice Department gave Time Warner ATT after this really pretty vicious, almost ad hominem verdict by the bench. The judge seemed hell-bent on showing that the Justice Department doesn't have a clue about the antitrust issues here, nor uh, do its lawyers or economists. In fact, I think this ruling even calls into question their viewing habits. I almost expected the judge to tell these Justice Department lawyers to stop using landlines and go buy a smartphone. And for once, I'm not even exaggerating. Just listen to this snippet from the actual ruling. And I quote, after all, as Nobel laureate Bob Dylan correctly observed, you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. Yep, he invokes subterranean homesick blues to explain how much the world has changed. The Justice Department's view of the TV business is totally behind the times in a world where Facebook and Google control so much of the advertising market. They're so dominant that you almost end up feeling sorry for ATT and t in time, Warner, even after the deal. The old school, untargeted advertising model has been totally left behind. Nothing about this merger changes that. Worse, if you read closely, the rise of cord cutting may make this a failed merger simply because no matter how much vertical integration you get, ATT and Time Warner will keep losing market share every day. I know many people saw this ruling as a subtle rebuke of President Trump for insisting that the case be brought, supposedly because he hates CNN, which is a time Warner property. The judge acknowledges a level of punitive costs extracted by the government in the delay of the deal and in the huge amount of legal bills that it generated. But, you know, I think that's a sideshow. This is a brief that says the Justice Department doesn't understand the new reality. We now live in a world where the likes of Facebook, Amazon, Google and Netflix can put these old line media companies out of business if they don't get their acts together and cut costs. It's a clarion call for companies like Disney and Comcast, the parent of this network and anyone else in the business trying to get customers to watch ads. They need to do everything they can to stave off the threat from fine. The bottom line. Judge Leon's decision to let at Time Warner deal happen is all about trying to save the traditional media in a world where the odds favor its extinction. For old media, the costs are too great, the revenues are too meager, and the whole industry is on a collision course with Fang. Despite the government's uh, naive objections, that's already set in stone. To borrow another quote from Nobel laureate Bob Dylan, the answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind, which is why Comcast's $65 billion topper bid for the Fox assets tonight makes so much sense to me. Let's go to Joel in Virginia. Joel. Thanks for taking my
2: call, Jim. I've been a fan since the Cudlow and Kramer days, and I'm so glad to hear that Larry Cudlow's out of the hospital today. Isn't that today. great news? Isn't
1: That's that great, great
2: news? It's great. Um, I'm calling you about Entercom. You featured it last fall, and it sounded like an interesting um, uh, candidate for uh, my establishing a media position in my portfolio. I, I didn't have one. And it, it, it looked like good revenue growth and a uh, uh, good dividend. And they were buying the CBS radio assets, and they have a, which is a lot of sports and, a lot, uh, of course, the news and everything. And I did my research, and I started buying it in the fall on down days and picking it up in, in tranches. Mm-hmm. And um, it, uh, it, I listened to the, uh, the first conference call in the right. winter one. Right? Right. And um, Mario Gabelli had been on halftime a couple of times, and he highlighted it as one of his favorites.
1: I I know, but, Joel, the problem was that May quarter was not good. And I thought they would have had at least one or two better quarters than they did. Uh, This stock has come down so much, it, it represents value. But that was a bad miss, and I was quite surprised. I thought they could have done better. Let's go to Mark in Maryland, please.
2: Mark. Hi, Professor Kramer, a big, big booyah from out, out here in Baltimore. Okay, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'd like to talk to you today about Marathon Petroleum. I've uh, owned it since it spun off from Marathon Oil. Mm -hmm. And now with this Endeavor thing, I'm feeling like I'm in the house of pain. No,
1: no, come on, man. This is just a pit stop. These guys know exactly what they're doing. They're making a ton of money. The spread is terrific. I say stay the course. I'm going to Stephen in Florida, please. Stephen.
2: Stephen? A warm-central Florida Booyah, Jim.
1: Oh, well, thank you very much.
2: What's up? Hey, Jim, I've been following TiVo since late last year when the International Trade Commission <laughs> said a major telecommunica- com- uh, telecommunication company infringed on some of their patents. Okay. My thought is that since TiVo has a total market cap of less than $2 billion, this company or maybe another company would buy them out. I want yeah, to Yeah, but know we your... don't
1: want to recommend stocks on the basis of a takeover. We want strong fundamental stocks, and I just don't think there's enough here to be able to make that case. So I'm going this don't way. buy. don't buy All right. it's a nuclear blast. That's how I would describe the AT time Warner Deal. It's a true blast to the government. What can I say? Times they are changing. Watch more we have money ahead. RH is a brand born in California and now taking it war- to the world of design. And Wall Street by storm, for that matter. But should you furnish your portfolio with a stock? I'm pulling up a chair with the CEO after your remarkable run. Then if you're looking for the next big investment, do I have the plays for you? Wall Street's hottest club is the list of $100 billion members. Don't miss my take on the newest ones. And
3: all your calls, rapid
1: fire, tonight's edition of the Lightning Round.
3: As the mall declined, this home goods retailer found itself in need of a remodel, a lean into luxury, a move toward membership that's serious about service. The stock has been rewarded. Has the company been restored? Yesterday, we watched in
1: awe as RH, the company behind Restoration Hardware, saw its stock soar more than 30% in response to a phenomenal quarter. Some of this had to do with the monster short squeeze, but a lot of it was simply because Restoration is making a killing here. Turns out, a really strong economy is great for a super high-end furnishings emporium. Who would have guessed? This is such a terrific story that we need to go straight to the source. So let's check in with Gary Friedman. He's the bankable chairman and CEO of RH. To learn more about the quarter where his company headed. Mr. Friedman, welcome back to Mad Money. Great. Right. Thank to you, see you, Jim. Gary. Good to see you. All right, let's go right to it. This one should not have surprised people. Because at the absolute bottom, what did you do?
0: Uh, well, I, I, started buying our own stock at $27 right. a share and bought it over the last year, four times, all the way up to $97 a share. So, uh, and despite that, I think we were the seventh most shorted, uh, stock in all of the, uh, NASDAQ and the New York stock Exchange. All right. So what did people miss? Uh, exactly what we told them. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, I, it now, yeah, what we told them were the things that we're doing haven't been done before necessarily. we uh, we moved from a promotional model to a membership model, uh, we're uh, most people are shrinking the size of the retail stores or closing retail stores, and we're building the biggest specialty stores anyone's ever built. Uh, so that uh, you know, goes the other way. Um, people are uh, eliminating catalogs. We're mailing the biggest source books people have seen. Uh, and, you know, we, we're in, in a lot of ways, we're taking the road less traveled. Uh, and then we're we're completely rebuilding the operational infrastructure in the company in, in a in a very integrated way in a unique way, and so you know everything is a little different and everybody uh, everyone wants to try to fit us in a box. The fact is that we're we're building new boxes all the time, so it's okay. hard to hard to well, figure us out. People doubted you, but as you say in the
1: call, you said, look, the average when you came in, uh, the average store volume here was two point nine uh, million dollars. We have stores doing sixty. 60- Plus million,
0: yeah, a we, store. We do, we do. Yeah, and even in the small, the little six thousand square foot stores we inherited, uh, those have went from on average two point nine million to fifteen million in the same square footage. And then our, our new design galleries, we, we have stores in ex- excess of $60 million. In fact, we're going to open one here in New York City uh, that we, we, we believe will do in excess of $100 million.
1: I remember when you first did Chicago and people said, well, look, that's ridiculous. It looks like a country club. It's not really <laughs> for." Di- now you're into hospitality. I'm sure they'll doubt you again. I think it's brilliant. Go ahead.
0: Well, yeah, and if you think about it, look, we're we're in the home business, and if you start with the fact that we we tried to blur the lines between residential and retail and create create stores that were. Uh, spaces that were more home than store. And the next logical step for us is to blur the lines between home and hospitality. And if, if you're going to someone's home, they're going to offer you food. They're going to offer you something to, to drink and so on and so forth. So we, we said, well, we're not the first retailer to put a restaurant in a, in a store. I remember when I was a little kid, my mom oh, was taking Bloomies. me to the to yeah. Bloomingdale's, the Big E, the Emporium in the West Coast. Um, but But most of them, they were kind of a bolt-on, right? Like I even say, like there's a department store, I won't say their name, I I respect them a lot, but they just opened a a big new store uh, in Marin County, where we live, and, and I heard they're opening a restaurant. So it was about a year ago, and I go down to see the store, and I walk in on the ground floor. I look all around. I can't see the restaurant. I go on the second floor up the escalators. I look all around. I don't see a restaurant. And I asked someone, I said, excuse me, but I, I heard you guys had a, a restaurant in the new store. And they go, oh, we do. Just go right down there through the children's department, <laughs> through that little porthole, and there it is. And I walk through, <laughs> and it had nothing to do with the retail store. So just having a restaurant's not not the key. It's, it's how it's integrated into the retail store, right? And so in ours, it's, it's centrally located. It's all part of the experience. And then if you take it one step further, um, you know, so you think about hospitality and another step, you know, we're doing our first guest house uh, in New York City, right around the corner from our big gallery. Uh, and we're going to try to redefine hospitality. And, and what's interesting here, everybody says to me, oh, so you're going to try to sell your furniture. You're going you're to make your your uh, uh, guest house, uh, a showroom. I go, no, no, we already have a showroom 25 steps away. It'll be 90,000 square feet with a restaurant Ooh, on the top geez. with the views of Freedom Tower. It'll be fantastic. But what we're, yeah, everything we try to do, we, we try to innovate and we try to look beyond uh, today's reality and see tomorrow's future. So we're going to do things in hospitality the world hasn't seen. So spring of 19, when the guest house opens... Uh, We'll talk more about that
1: right, there are very few people who have both the vision and the taste, but also the financial smarts. You did a convertible bond and you it, when the stock was higher and you bought a huge amount of stock when the stock was lower and that really was to the advantage of the shareholders
0: yeah, okay correct well so uh, look we we got smart we we were lucky enough to uh, go private with some pretty pretty smart people uh, at at caterton Tower three and uh, and it was the first time, look, I, I grew up, right, I was a stock boy at the Gap, so I, I grew up inside, inside the company. I got booted out of junior college. I did, didn't know a lot about financing, but I, I had an opportunity to work for, for pretty smart people, and plus I studied Warren Buffett all the time, and I, and I watched at, in, in 2008 and 2009 Warren Buffett, it, you know, it's like, it seems like those with capital in, in difficult times are the ones who capitalized. So right. I saw Warren was lending money to Goldman Sachs, lending money to B of A, and, and, and and so when the capital markets were ripe, uh, we thought, geez, can we access capital markets? And we were able to do two convertible deals at zero coupons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a really smart guy on our board, Barry Sternlich, who told me it's <laughs> almost like smart, free Scotty. money, right? Free money. And so we were able to do that. And we didn't need the money. And that's a good time to get the right. money. So we, we uh, you know, six, 600 million plus uh, of convertible bonds. And, uh, and when... When we went through the transformation, we went public in 2012, and we were the perfect public company for 12 quarters, right? Mm-hmm. You get on that quarterly racetrack when you're public, right. and, and you know something's going to go wrong at some point. Yes. You're going to blow a tire. The, the question is, when you blow a tire, do you pull your car into the pits and change the tires, or do you go right back out? Right. We decided to pull into the pits and rebuild the whole car. And so that's a little strange for people. And so, But during that time, even though we articulated our plan to re-architect the, the back end of the business, to move from a promotional model to a membership model, it looked like all the cars were going by us and people thought, you know, oh, my gosh. And they, um, you know, stock went down to 25. And, and we said, look, um, if, if they don't want to bet on us, uh, we'll bet on ourselves. And so we, we took a, uh, the, the money on the balance sheet, we raised some other capital, and we bought back half the company. Well, it was brilliant. The, I applaud you and your team. And my team's all here. Team and, by is- the way, I have my grateful T-shirt you- on. Because I am grateful to all of them, all of our associates I all I through like the country. I like a CEO who shares board the credit with his team. Don't
1: question <laughs> you to do that either. That's Gary Friedman, chairman CEO of RH. It's not done going higher, guys.
3: Stick with Kramer. <laughs> Coming up, get ready for market cap madness. Do these $100 billion club members belong in your portfolio? Kramer breaks it down when Mad Money returns.
1: I say it all the time, but it bears repeating. This market doesn't get nearly enough credit for its strength. There's so many positives at work. Yeah, I know what the Fed did today, but there's so many positives. We're constantly worrying about the next big bad event that's going to derail everything. For all we know, people will be crying wolf tomorrow about today's Fed rate hike. I think that's a mistake. So tonight I want to give you a new way of looking at the stock market. Allow me to introduce the one. 100 billion dollar club. It's pretty self-explanatory. The rarefied group of companies with market capitalizations over 100 billion dollars. Why should we care about these mega cap stocks? Because unlike an index, the $100 billion club isn't selected by anyone. There's no nominating committee. The only way a company gets its name on this list is by producing years and years of gains. So tonight we're going to focus on the newest members of the $100 billion club, the companies that have reached a psychologically important level in the past year. Because this is a fantastic place to search for winners, even in a down tape like today. In the last 12 months, this club has seen 15 new members. That's a lot. And it turns out this list is a vertible who's who of what's working. And I had to say it, but we talk about these names pretty much every night. We just hadn't put them in this context. So let's kick things off with the members that joined the $100 billion club in the second half of last year. We'll get to the more recent interests after the break. OK, what do we got here? We got Dow DuPont, NVIDIA, Nike, Texas Instruments, Union Pacific, Broadcom and United Parcel. They all hit $100 billion in market capitalization late last year, and they've stayed above that level to this day. Dow DuPont, exceptional case, because the gigantic chemical company merged its way to its current $162 billion valuation, and it's not going to stay there. Remember, last year, the old Dow Chemical and DuPont completed their monster combination. But the whole idea of this merger, masterminded by the brilliant Ed Breen from Philadelphia, by the way, was that it would only be the prelude to a three-way breakup. Dow and DuPont would join forces, then split up the combined company to create an agriculture giant, a specialty products kingpin, and a materials science titan. Those spin-outs are coming next year. Given the tremendous amount of value it had been created by breaking up the Tyco company back in the day, I am very much a believer in this story. I would be a buyer right here. Second, you've got NVIDIA which now is a $159 billion valuation. I like the semiconductor company so much that I renamed my dog after it. He used to be called Everest. Now he's NVIDIA. And, of course, we own it for my charitable trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. Why not? Three years ago, NVIDIA was a $15 billion business. Now it's the 30th largest company in the S&P 500. Here's the thing. Jensen Wong, the CEO, is the man with a plan. He started laying the groundwork for Nvidia's recent transformation a decade ago. In the old days, they were just the preeminent maker of graphics processors, the chips that let you play cool looking video games. You see that Co- cohort? Video game stocks are on fire. Now that the gaming space is so big, Well, NVIDIA has also found other sorts of new uses for its products, from the data center to artificial intelligence to machine learning to self-driving cars. Yes, all the the same chips that you use for gaming, they turn out to be fabulous, even better than, say, traditional semiconductors or all those other applications. And that's how NVIDIA has been able to accelerate its revenue growth. Last year, sales increased by 40 percent, up 37 percent from the year before. And the latest quarter have picked up to plus 65 percent. They've also been delivering some staggering earnings beats. It's an amazing story. Ideally, you want to wait so you can uh, get a pullback. Uh, and, and NVIDIA does get pullbacks, um, usually because someone slags it for being up too much. And there's someone who links it to cryptocurrencies. Remember those? Uh, You don't have to wait too long. You'll get your chance. Third, Nike broke through the $100 billion barrier last year, although this was not so much a welcome-to-the-club moment as a welcome back-to-the-club moment. After spending a couple of years in the wilderness, thanks to competition from Under Armour and a resurgent Adidas, Nike got its groove back late last year, and the stock's now up almost 50% from its October lows. You heard me, 55-0. You know we've got a red-hot bull market in apparel here, and Nike's very much a part of that. Now, Nike reports later this month, and as it tendency to sell off, even on good numbers. So that might be your moment to pounce. Like this, don't you like this? Welcome to the club. Fourth, Texas Instruments, which I like to call the sleep-at-night semiconductor stock. While it lacks the sex appeal of something like NVIDIA, it's remarkably consistent. Texas Instruments is the world's largest maker of analog chips. That's the kind that control real-world things like a speed, sound, voltage, and they make tons of microcontrollers for the Internet of Things, IoT. Best of all, this company is a voracious repurchaser of its own stock. When it gets slammed, you know they're in there buying it with you. Fifth. We've got America's largest railroad and my personal fave, Union Pacific, which joined the $100 billion club last year and now has a $145 billion valuation. Wow. This past earnings season, company after company after company kept telling us about all these uh, problems with controlling transportation costs. Well, that's basically money in the bank for Union Pacific. I also view the strength here as the market's way of saying we shouldn't be too worried about a trade war with China because Union Pacific does tons of business moving Chinese shipping containers from the West Coast to the rest of the country. By the way, they also have an unbelievable business from Mexico, to our country. So it's possible, too, that even NAFTA is too, that we worry too much about NAFTA. Now, we just heard from CEO Lance Fritz a few weeks ago, and I like what he has had to say. Remember, he came here, told a great story. The next time the transport's pull back, you might want to think about doing some buying of Union Pacific. The company's got a monster buyback. They will be in there with you. Six, there's Broadcom, the semiconductor roll-up, formerly known as Avago. Yet yeah, Broadcom made it into the $100 billion club via a series of monster acquisitions, staffing up Brocade last year, and before that, buying the old Broadcom. Hocktan, the CEO, is fabulous at executing these takeovers. It's just too bad the Trump administration wouldn't let him buy Qualcomm, because this company is he- Headquartered in Singapore for tax purposes. Now that they're domiciled in the U.S. again, it would be easier for, for TAN to get back to wheeling and dealing. Broadcom can be tough to own, though, as they're a big Apple supplier and investors are constantly fretting about reduced iPhone production. It's another gigantic buyback in the works here, by the way, and they're in there every day. Number seven, Kramer Fave United Technologies, UTX, which joined the club last year, but is now hanging on by the skin of its teeth with a $102 billion market cap. People have been worried about how a diversified industrial like United Technologies will fare if the trade war with China gets even hotter than it is, as the PRC is a major source of growth for the company. Otis elevators, But United Technologies is firing on all cylinders here, especially its aerospace business, and the company may break itself up to unlock value. Whatever they decide, and I think they will indeed break up after the Rockwell-Collins deal closes, that's aerospace, I trust CEO Greg Hayes to do the right thing. Finally, there's United Parcel which joined the $100 billion club last year, then got booted during the big late January, early February sell-off, and only rejoined in the last few weeks. I have to say, as much as I like the transportation companies that benefit from the rise of e-commerce, I'm not that excited about UPS. There are simply better logistics plays, like XPO. Here's the bottom line. When you look at the companies that reached $100 billion valuations last year, you will find pretty high-quality group of stocks. Not all of them are worth owning, but most are worth putting on your shopping list. Yes, these are the ones that joined late last year, and they are all pretty darn good. But I want you to stay tuned for the $100 billion club's most recent additions. Those are coming to you. Wait for it after the lightning round. Hey, you know, this is such a good list. I should have been doing this a long time ago. We have yeah, money back after the break. It is time. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Skid? That is over. The lightning round, Clippers. (蛋ansír組) I'm start with Mike in New York. Mike.
2: Jim, how are you?
1: I am good. How about you, Mike?
2: Pretty good. Just one quick
1: thing. Eagles to repeat this year. I believe it. I like that. I'm on the bus. What's up? Anyway, quick thing I wanted to ask you. What's going on with the stock Xylem? Well, look, you know, like we said last night, we like anything water-connected. It's come down a little bit. It's still up for the year. I'm going to reiterate to buy. Let's go to Rob in Virginia. Rob. Hey, Jim, uh, KPTI is on the verge of filing its first NDA for selling XOR. What do you think? Well, man, you're out there on your own, I got to tell you, because that is one dicey But that is a very, very speculative situation for a billion-dollar company, and I cannot endorse it here. Let's go to Pete and Marilyn. P. Jimmy, happy Wednesday. Oh, we're yeah, man, we're almost almost through with Wednesday.
2: What's up? Hey, uh, I have uh, NRZ is what I'm calling about. High Any yield, per- very high phone-
1: yield. Don't know whether it can be backed up. Why? Because I don't really know what they own. That's the problem with some of these higher yielders. they got mortgages. I can't figure out whether they're good or not. I'm taking a pass. Kathy in Arizona. Kathy.
3: Hi, how are you, Jim?
1: I'm good, Kathy. How about you?
3: Well, we're 106
1: degrees, but we're doing okay. I, hey, I saw that. Know Someone about was in uh, for, uh, Vegas today for us. What's up?
2: I want to know about ticker symbol KEM, Chemnick Corporation.
1: Inexpensive semiconductor company that I think is worth buying. I know it's a little speculative, but I think it's a good one. Let's go to Brian in New York. Brian. Yeah, yeah. booyah, Jim. Booyah.
2: Yeah, ticker symbol IOVA, advanced Biotherapeutics.
1: You know, I mean, look, it's we've always said the same thing, oncological specs, we are willing to accept as long as we understand that they are specs and nothing more because they tend to get takeover bids. Let's go to Chris in Massachusetts. Chris. Hey, uh, Kramer. Big Bay State Summertime. Who are you. Fantastic. What's up?
2: Uh, call them today about Casella Wade Systems. They're a mid-sized player. I've in the known New him England for many years. Used to
1: have a position in many, many, many years ago when I was an hedge fund manager. I got to tell you, I think you should be in waste management. Let's go for big and best. Let's go for best of breed. I need Tyler in Minnesota.
2: Tyler. Hey, Jim, uh, I, I had bought Boston Scientific back when it was 5 bucks, and right now it's like 31 50 or thirty-one sixty. dollars uh, Should I buy more of it? No, no, no,
1: no. As a matter of fact, I want you to take out your cost basis tomorrow and play with the house's money. Mahoney's doing an unbelievable job. We did not see that takeover been materialized. I don't care. It's an earnings story, and they are a remarkable company. Dan in California. Dan.
2: Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. How are you today? I'm good. How about you? Excellent. I currently own some shares of Magellan Midstream Partners. Should I wait for a price pullback to buy more? No, it's
1: going higher. I beat myself up on a club call today for Action Alerts Plus saying, listen, I thought that FERC was going to derail these guys. I was wrong. The company did an amazing job. Michael Mears came on this show, when the stock was really, really low and said buy it. He was right and that, ladies and gentlemen. The conclusion of the lightning round.
3: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TG Ameritrade.
1: In a bull market, and make no mistake, this is still a bull market even after the Fed rate hike. Winners do tend to keep winning. It may sound silly, but it's true. That's why tonight we're going over the newest members of the $100 billion club, the latest companies to reach $100 billion in market capitalization. We just went over the eight new entrants from the second half of last year. So now let's get to the seven companies that have joined the $100 billion club in 2018. And most importantly, which you should consider to be a buy here. First, we've got Netflix, which now is $165 billion market cap. After the stock caught another terrific 4.4% rally today, now up more than 95% for the year. What can I say about Netflix that hasn't been said before? It's one of the few must-have subscription services around, not just here in the United States, but increasingly all over the world. They make incredible content. The subscriber growth continues to be stunning. That said, people love to complain about the valuation. Every time Netflix's market capitalization surpasses another old-school media titan, latest being Disney, you hear that it's too expensive. This argument has led you astray every single time. And I think it fundamentally misunderstands what Netflix is doing. They're not just another media company. They're upending the entire industry. They're a disruptor. However, I hate to chase them with the stock up near 380 today after a very bullish note from Goldman Sachs this morning, which said that Netflix is about to make a ton of money. I don't blame anyone for hesitating buying Netflix at these levels. Ideally, I'd wait for a pullback before buying more. In the technical term that that Goldman used was that they're about to inflect into positive territory, and that would be amazing. Second, we've got Adobe, the first cloud king to join the $100 billion club. Adobe's always been in a league of its own when it comes to helping people create digital media. But under the leadership of CEO Shantanu Narayan, friend of the show, the company has really reinvented itself. The new Adobe is one of the most powerful players in e-commerce. They're the go-to guys if you want to build a website that keeps your customers coming back for more and more and more and more. And the company's embrace of a cloud-based business model, where you pay them a subscription over time rather than buying the software up front, has totally supercharged the numbers. So can the stock keep roaring? Well, Adobe reports tomorrow night, so we'll find out soon. The expectations have been somewhat elevated of late, but that's nothing new, and they've got a history of beating numbers. Tune in tomorrow, and we'll go over the quarter, which I bet will be a great one. Although it needs to be super duper great after this run, which includes another three and a half dollars tacked on this very day. Third member of the class of 2018, eh, a little sedate here, Abbott Labs, across the hundred billion dollar threshold earlier this year. How much do I like this medical device company? Enough that we own it for my charitable trust, which you can follow along at ActionLotsPlus.com. Abbott's CEO, Miles White. We've profiled him a couple times. Has done a masterful job of unlocking value over the years, including the spinoff of AbbVie, the drug business. Boy, that worked out well, too. But what put Abbott Labs over the top here was its $25 billion acquisition of a company we long liked on the show, St. Jude Med, which dramatically expanded the company's exposure to cardiovascular and neurological devices. The deal closed early last year, and since then, Abbott's stock has been off to the races. In recent months, though, it's been trading sideways as shareholders digest their earlier gains. My view, I I like Abbott Labs a lot. The company's got a bunch of new products in the works and has an incredibly consistent track record. When it comes to earnings, Abbott has either met or exceeded Wall Street's earnings estimates every quarter for more than for more than ten years. You can't make it. I told you, Miles White was great. Well, the stock's only up a couple of points uh, uh, points this year, uh, only off a couple of points from its high. I would buy some right here, and then maybe buy some more if it drops to say 58. Fourth is Accenture. ACN, the big information technology consulting and outsourcing play. Basically, Accenture helps other companies get the most out of their technology, and it's incredibly well run. So I wasn't surprised when it joined the $100 billion club earlier this year. To put this as simply as possible, these guys make it easy for their clients to upgrade their systems in order to embrace the cloud or mobile or advanced data analytics. They're experts. That makes Accenture a huge winner from the rise of the cloud. Okay? Okay and you rarely hear it being touted as such, except for on the show. The other odd thing here is that the stock has a tendency to sell off after earnings, even when the numbers are excellent, which is usually the case. When Accenture reported a fabulous quarter in March, it plunged from 162 down to 147 on the news. As I pointed out over and over again, that's the best moment to buy. And sure enough, like clockwork, the stock is rebounded to 163. So if you like this story, you might get a better buying opportunity when Accenture reports again in two weeks. Every time it comes in after the quarter, we tell you to buy it. I We'll probably end up doing the same thing again. Fifth, controversial, Booking Holdings, the travel artist formerly known as Priceline. This has been a great long-term story, but the whole group stalled last year as investors worried that the online travel space was becoming crowded. Turns out those fears were unjustified, and Booking Holdings is roaring again. It's up 21% year-to-date, bringing its market cap up to 102 billion. I don't dislike this one. But I do think there are better opportunities out there, opportunities like number six, Salesforce.com. That's another very recent addition, the $100 billion club just got there, second cloud king to join the group. Over the years, we've watched the CEO Mark Benioff has built one of the greatest software companies in history. History. He practically invented the cloud, revolutionizing customer relations management, and inspired a generation of smaller software developers. This company keeps generating stunning revenue growth. They blew past the $10 billion revenue target last year, charging toward $20 billion, which analysts believe they'll hit within four years. I think that's going to be much earlier than that. Wouldn't shock me if they do it in three or even two. Plus, lately, Salesforce has become a pretty good earner, like Ralphie and the Sopranos. My advice, pray for a pullback. We'll let lets you buy this one the weakest. Pray for it. It's a terrific stock to own on a multi-day Fed-inspired sell-off where people come on and say, ooh, the sky is falling. Think Salesforce. Finally, in the last few weeks, PayPal has joined the $100 billion club. I've been a fan of this payment technology company even before it was spun off by eBay in 2015. It might seem obvious now, but being a bull on PayPal has not been that easy. The whole way up, there were naysayers claiming the company didn't stand a chance. But thanks to the leadership of CEO Dan Schulman, PayPal proved them wrong by partnering with the very companies that were supposed to destroy it. Now they've got a great asset in Venmo, the social payments app. Beloved by millennials, they like the emojis. And I think the stock has more room to run. I bet PayPal ultimately becomes the way to bet now that organized uh, online gambling is legal. Soon, your cell phone will be your casino and PayPal will be your M.O. Here's the bottom line. When it comes to the newest members of the $100 billion club, I say dance with the one that brung you. These executives have created tremendous value here, and I bet they're going to keep doing It may seem like a silly way to pick stocks, but in bull market, Winners tend to keep winning, and nothing says like success than joining the $100 billion market capitalization club. Welcome to the club, and stick with Craven. Comcast versus Disney. It will be an epic battle, and i got to tell you, I look at these all the time, and I do not know who will win this one. But it is going to be costly for whoever does. i like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will
3: see you tomorrow.